Well, most of the people that I've talked to are less busy during this season of sheltering in place, staying at home. And even if we're not less busy, there's kind of a calm about the world around us that has a positive effect on us. The, the birds seem to be singing a little bit more loudly, right? Have you noticed that? There's a calm around us. The streets are emptier. Life feels a little bit slower. Uh, people pick up the phone when you call them. It's amazing because they're just at home waiting for somebody to call. So call each other, right? Let's, let's build community that way. The Berkeley turkeys are out in full force. Have you seen that? I think they actually feel like they might have won. They thought that if they just stood their ground this entire time um, and made us wait in front of them while they walked across the street as slowly as they possibly could, that eventually we would just leave. One of the effects of being less busy is that there's uh, more space for reflection. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning in the time we have. More, we have more time to think, to talk with one another, at least those who are in our home or if we pick up the phone. I've heard of people connecting with old friends all across the country and the extra time that they have. Uh, time to ponder, right? To pray. And you may even be discovering that in the midst of the calm, issues that you have papered over with activity are coming now to the surface. Isn't that interesting? Relational issues, uh, emotional ones, questions about God, family of origin issues, addictions. I can only imagine how um, staying at home um, creates temptations that maybe activity helps us with. And now we have to face those addictions, those temptations square in the face And it can be overwhelming. And and I'm praying for us in that. Idols, we talked about the idol of control last week. All of this, this sort of coming to the surface of issues that we might have been able to paper over with busyness and activity is kind of scary, right? But it's also an exciting opportunity. And that's that's how I want to frame this season out of the text that we're going to look at this morning. One of the burdens I have for us during our stay-at-home season is that we would embrace the opportunities that God brings for spiritual growth. I'm calling this Waiting Well. That's what this series is, and it's going to be ongoing here for probably four or five weeks. And today I want to talk about the spiritual growth process with the goal of us all learning to cooperate more with what God might be doing during this season. We're going to look in Hebrews 12. So would you open up to Hebrews 12? If you have your Bible, we're going to be looking in verses 3 through 11. Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. We'll also be projecting it. This comes off of chapter 11, which is a famous chapter in the Bible about all of the heroes of the faith, people who who lived their lives faithfully, and some of them even um, died or, or shed blood or, or were harmed because of their faith. And, and, then, and then it leads up to Jesus, who is the author and, the, and perfecter of our faith for, uh, for, for the joy that was set before him, it says, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so you have to picture there's sort of like these cloud of witnesses who are looking down and, and watching us. And within that framework of this, this cloud of people of faith who've gone before us and have sort of fought the good fight and endured hardship, uh, now this encouragement, this admonishment to us In our season, this is our time, right? This is our season to live in faith 
And here's what the author of Hebrews says in verse 3 and following. Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is from the Proverbs that we read earlier in our service. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God, help us to to understand your word here this morning. And I want to be careful as we go through this not to be insensitive to the suffering around us. Some in our midst, some in our world, certainly, some in our country, certainly, are suffering greatly with real sickness uh, from COVID-19 or other sickness or the, the, the loss of loved ones that may have, have just taken place. Um, and I, and I want to just point out that the sermon, the right sermon for those moments is the sermon on lament and grief and community and prayer. And not, not a sermon necessarily on discipline, although, although it is a factor that comes into play with all suffering in this world. All suffering does eventually get to the question of growth. And, and so that's what I want to drill into a little bit today. This text is like a how-to on spiritual growth. It's perfect for our current undertaking, which is to, to learn how to wait well in this season, to take advantage of the time for spiritual things, for the work of God in our, in our lives. And this, this text answers three questions, at least, three that we're going to look at today. Why do we grow? What's it like to grow? And who's in charge of our growth? So we're going to take each of those questions in turn. We'll start with the first one. Why do we grow? Now, there's, there are a lot of motivations for spiritual growth, right? We could say, you know, I'm uncomfortable. I, I uh, you know, jealousy, this jealousy that I have doesn't feel good. I'd like to be done with it. I'd like to move pa- past it. You know, my perpetual struggle with anger doesn't feel good. I want to move past that. Um, my addiction is, is really uh, destroying me. And so I want to grow. I want to experience growth, spiritual growth past that so that I can be healed. I want to be freed from all of these. Um, and these are great reasons for wanting to grow, um, but they're not the ultimate reason. Another reason we could, we could also want to grow is that we want to stop 
harming the people around us. I've had moments like that in my life where I do something, you know, for the, you know, umpteenth time that, that I really hate and I can see the pain it causes somebody else. And I just say to God, I wish I could grow. And some of you may be thinking uh, that this morning, you know, you want to grow because you want to stop harming the people around you. And that's a wonderful reason to want to grow. The, the people will thank you for growing, right? If it causes you to be a more loving person. Another reason we could say that we want to grow is because we want to be good. And, and here's this is a little more insidious. Some of us has, have a kind of a, attached our worth and value to being good, either in our own eyes or in the eyes of others. And it's interesting because that motivation surprisingly can provide a lot of energy for wanting to grow. But ultimately, it's a self-centered motivation for spiritual growth because we're trying to uh, achieve a sense of value and worth in the eyes of others. And the same thing can apply with God. I want to be acceptable to God. It's the most human thing in the world to try and assuage our conscience, right? We, we've all been given a conscience. Paul talks about this in Romans 2. We've all been given a conscience, and it's sort of like God's megaphone directly into our heart, right? And if you, if you listen to God speaking to you through your conscience, you know, you will hear him more and more. If you, if you turn away and you don't listen, you know, the voice gets more and more diminished as you, as you try to ignore it. But this is God's means for connecting with us. And, and there's a sense in which when we hear the conviction in our con- conscience, we want to try and, and change things. We want to be, we want to be good enough. But the problem is, and the Bible teaches this all throughout, is, is it can't be done. Sin is too great. Rather, what we need, and this is the message of the gospel, this is the goodness, this is the center of the Christian faith. What we really need is forgiveness from God. See, the conscience, when working properly, reveals to us that we actually can't achieve goodness on our own, and that we need God's grace. And God, in his goodness, has provided that grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's so interesting, though, that even after we understand that beautiful gospel, the good news of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, we can still go back and try to then relieve our conscience when it flares up by, by trying to be good enough for God, striving to be good enough And so this motivation can propel us to try and grow, but it turns out that it leads us into kind of faith, a kind of religion that feels like a treadmill where we're constantly trying to to please God and to be good enough for God. And it runs contrary to the gospel of grace, which is that God has taken the heavy lift in addressing our sin through Jesus Christ. And we can live in his grace, not just in the beginning of our faith, but day in and day out. And surprisingly, when we do that, when we live in God's grace, there is a kind of a motivation towards spiritual growth that happens on the basis of gratitude towards God. It's beautiful. But still, even so, I don't think we're at the very center, at least according to this text, of why we would want to grow. All of these motivations that I've just run through are present, and some are helpful, and some are not. But this text tells us that the central reason for spiritual growth is this. Verse 10, second part. That we may share his holiness. That we may share 
his holiness. Now, holiness, I know, is kind of a big, scary word for many of us. Um, but what it really just refers to is life in the way that God originally designed it to be. God made us for holiness. He, he made us with a particular set of practices and thoughts and relationships in mind and the way that we would conduct all those. And holiness is just living into God's design for us as human beings. And in heaven, of course, everything is holy. That's what makes it heaven. There's, there's no taint of sin in heaven. It's not messed up. It's, it's, it's pristine. And that's how we would want it. it. Otherwise, it would not be heavenly, right? People will be as they were intended to be in heaven, not missing the mark. That's what sin simply is, is missing the mark, not missing the mark of God's intent for our lives. And by grace, we get to move in that direction towards holiness, even now as God grows us spiritually. But there's something even, I think, more beautiful and more relational about what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. It says that we get to share his holiness. An emphasis on the word share. If you're underlining phrases in your Bible, underline this phrase, share his holiness, and then double underline this word share. We get to share, participate in, relate to, experience, know in a very inward kind of way, delve into God's holiness, his perfection. We're in the realm of knowledge of God here. I had this amazing vision when I was in a prayer meeting recently. And it was sort of a picture of my life. We were just taking some time to pray quietly, um, waiting. We had a good, a good chunk of time, and my mind was sort of roaming through different ideas and concepts, and I was processing my life. And the picture that came to me was a very peaceful picture, and, and, and it was sort of amazing. It was this. I was sitting uh, in this sort of one-person vehicle, uh, kind of like a little bubble of, of glass, if you could imagine that. And I was riding along a spiral track that was descending downward. And as I looked upward, the, the track extended infinitely upwards and it extended infinitely downwards. And with each revolution around the track, I could see that I had made progress from where I was before, but there was still infinity to go. And I realized that this was kind of a picture of my life. And, and as I would go descending at this consistent rate, there would be these hitches and these jerks, but they were so insignificant. Nothing could prevent me from continuing to descend into deeper and deeper knowledge and understanding as I viewed it of God. It was beautiful. It dawned on me that I was descending into greater and greater knowledge of God, this eternal spiral that each circuit ushered me deeper into um, the beauty and the goodness and the majesty of who God is in his, his infinite uh, attributes, his eternal qualities. You know, the Bible teaches that we're going to be learning more and more about God for all eternity. And the joy of continuous realization about the majesty and the wonder and the beauty of God will be with us for all eternity because God himself is eternal. 
J.I. Packer opens his famous book, Knowing God, with these words from from, uh, another preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. It's a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. To grow is to know, come to know God on a deeper level. It's to share in his holiness. And one of the things that this text makes clear is that suffering in large part is how you get there. I've never understood the richness of God's forgiveness, for example, um, over me, his forgiveness towards me, as when I have been faced with forgiving someone who has wronged me. I couldn't know who God was in his suffering, who God is in his suffering without my own suffering. See, there's a connection between knowing God and his holiness. And Paul talks about this, about, about knowing God in his suffering. That's his, his life desire to know God. And it's our calling and our, our privilege. And this is why we want to take advantage of the lack of busyness that we might be experiencing right now. Not to distract ourselves into oblivion, but to open ourselves up to the inner work that God wants to do. To help us to know him in ways that we haven't known him before. This is the greatest reason for spiritual growth is to know God. So what's it like then to grow? So, so if, if, the, if, the, if the whole goal is to know God, uh, if that's why we grow, what does it look like? And if we, if we don't know what spiritual growth looks like, then uh, I, I'm afraid we're going to miss out on it. And, and so this passage becomes so important for us because it helps us to set our expectations aright. When we think about growing spiritually, we might have a conception um, and, and, and this passage helps us to set our expectations right. What we need to know about growth is that it is generally uncomfortable. Spiritual growth is generally uncomfortable. Listen to the words that the author uses. He talks about the growth, spiritual growth, as a struggle, as resistance as discipline, as chastisement even. That's a word that refers to being scourged with a whip. And, I, and that seems so harsh, but if you've been in a really hard season of growth, and I've been in this kind of hard season of growth, you know that it can feel like that. It can feel like chastisement. Or even in the case of the crowd of witnesses, the shedding of blood. Verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful, rather than pleasant. And so I want to ask you the question, did you expect coming into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, did you expect that spiritual growth would always be a pleasant experience? Because if you did, now you know, right? Now you know. The author of Hebrews is telling you, I'm telling you, God is telling you through this scripture, now you know. 
that oftentimes the pathway of growth is unpleasant and dotted with suffering. People miss out on the peaceful fruit of righteousness because of a fear of the unpleasantness of spiritual growth. But we are not on this planet to avoid unpleasantness, right? That's not why we exist. We're not like a new car that you want to avoid getting scratched in some way. We're here to know God. That's our greatest pursuit. Our greatest privilege is to know God. And that process is pretty messy at times. So so don't give up. Or to put it in the, the words in this passage, don't grow weary, right? Has this been a rough season for you? Staying at home? Maybe feeling extremely isolated? Maybe interpersonal relationships in the house have become really challenging? You know, all kinds of things. God is saying to you, don't grow weary in this moment. Don't grow faint-hearted in this moment. In fact, if we look at the passage right after, in verse 12, it says this, Therefore, because, because suffering is a part of spiritual growth, right? Because that's just the way it is. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Verse 12, verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's my burden. It's my prayer for us as a congregation that during this time we would have the courage to allow God to do the good work that he wants to do in each and every one of us. That we wouldn't grow weary. That we wouldn't grow faint-hearted. And there's one last exhortation. This is why we can trust the process that God has us on in this moment. Because, as it says, don't forget who you are. You are daughters and sons. I don't use the word sons, but it's meant in this context to refer to children, daughters and sons. You are daughters and sons of a heavenly process. This is the third question. Who makes us grow? Our heavenly father does. Who's in charge? Our heavenly father is in charge of the spiritual growth process. And that is really, really good news. You can fire yourself. You're not in charge of the spiritual growth process. You participate. You cooperate, hopefully with an understanding that it's going to involve some suffering. You'll be able to cooperate with God a little bit more freely. But ultimately, the one who's in charge is our heavenly father. A couple of things about that. First, his discipline over us is always about training in righteousness, to use the words in the last verse. Never about condemnation in Christ. This is a really important message. When we're in the depths of suffering, it's really easy to sink in to this perception, this view that God is condemning me for what I've done. And if that's you this morning, let me remind you of what it says in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All the elements of condemnation 
associated with our sin, God has taken into himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is really, really good news. Whatever we're experiencing right now by way of suffering is not about condemnation. It's about training, right? God is coming alongside you like a loving father to put his arm around you and say, look, we got to work on some things because I love you. And I don't want you to keep living in the way that you're living because you're missing out on knowledge of me and my holiness and sharing in my holiness because my holiness is so good. And when you live into this, when you share my holiness with me, you are going to experience beauty and wonder like you have never dreamed before. And I don't want you, I love you so much. I don't want you to miss out on that. So I'm coming alongside you to train you in holiness so that you might experience the fruit of righteousness. Chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's the joy? It's, it's your salvation. Jesus loves you so much that it was a joy for him to go to the cross if it meant that you and I would be in relationship with God the Father. Do you hear that? Do you, do you sense the love of the Father through the work of the Son? It was his joy to endure suffering so that you could know God. You could be in relationship with God. And that's really the, the crux of the second piece of, of, of who makes us grow. This question, who makes us grow, is, is that God relates to you as a loving father. right? The, 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 the language of father and son, and we can include daughter in this. It's intended to be included. Uh, the, the language of father, son, daughter occurs eight times in this short little passage. right? And verse 9 talks about how even our earthly sinful fathers want to do what's best for us. Well, how much more a perfect, loving, heavenly father. Now, back up a little. Just, I, I've, I have an amazing father for who, whom I'm so, I'm so grateful for my father. And we were on the phone yesterday. I'm going to go visit him soon. Um, and my mother. Um, but so much of the way I, I know, uh, so much of what characterizes the way that I live um, the way that I, I see the world is traceable back to my father. And I, I'm even starting to look more and more like him. I looked at one of these videos and I thought, oh my goodness, I look just like my dad, um, which hopefully that's an encouragement to him maybe in some way. I don't know. Um, but even so, right, even having been blessed with a relationship like that, I know that one of the themes in my 20s and 30s was sort of grappling with my relationship and the dynamics of my relationship with my father, just sort of processing that through. And, that, and that's true for probably every single one of us, right? 
that there's, there's a peace, even in a healthy context and relationship where we've got to sort it out, right? And, and then there are those instances, and I know this is true for many of you, where you had just a really broken relationship with your father, and, and maybe you even haven't been able to sort that out, and it's still a source of pain for you to this, to this day. And so you bring that to a passage that, like this one that we're looking at, where, where we're talking about God as Father disciplining you in, you in love. And there's a lot of static, you know, when you think about how that would go because you have your broken relationship with your Father. I can also say this about fatherhood, that honestly, some of the most painful moments of my life have been moments of introspection related to my own shortcomings as a father. I don't think I've ever gone as deep and dark in the cave of introspection and doubt and, 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 and just self-reflection as I have around my journey in being a father to my four children. And, and, and the ways that I've done that you know, so imperfectly time and time again. And conversely, you know, some of the sweetest moments of my, in my life have been related to those moments of joy in, in fatherhood. So, so what am I saying here? Well, this is the point, is that fatherhood is charged with immense power. It's like, it's like that 100 megawatt battery, right? And if the connections are good, then there's huge power for good. But if the wires are crossed, watch out, right? Because the impact on the human psyche can be tremendous. And we all bring that to the conversation when we look at a text like this. And I just want to remind you, I want to declare to you the good news, is that your heavenly Father never gets the wires crossed. He never gets the wires crossed. And you may be feeling the voltage in your current circumstances, the, the struggle of suffering, the resistance, even the chastisement. But he's bringing about something good in your life. He's not wasting your suffering. He wants you to grow because he loves you. And his ways are not our ways. And oftentimes we're not going to understand. And, and like a sculptor, you know, he's bringing out the chisel and he's chipping away the bits that are unhelpful. The sinful parts of who we are that, that cause us to run away from God and to fail to understand the extent of his love, he's chipping away at all of that. And the, the hammer sound of the, the chisel on stone rings in our ears. And we wonder, is this okay? And it hurts, you know, but God is the master sculptor and he's doing a beautiful thing. And at the end of the day, our role in this is to cooperate. And the best thing that we can do as he purifies, as he trains, 
as he disciplines is to keep on trusting him. That's our, that's our work. Keep on trusting God. Amidst the confusion, the inability to understand, the uncertainty, right? The pain. We keep on trusting like those beautiful witnesses in Hebrews 11 who now, after they've died and are in the presence of God, it's like a stadium and they're all the fans. They've had their turn on the field. This is our turn on the field. Are we going to live in faith, trusting God's work in our lives, following it through to the end, not growing weary, not growing faint-hearted, not getting weak in the knees, knowing, hanging on to the promises of a loving Father, trusting in Jesus Christ. That's the call upon us right now to live in faith, and it's good. And it's good. Because God loves you. And he will be perfectly faithful in your life.